there are differences between my childhood and my kids' childhoods. And any of you who have kids, you can probably say the same thing. And if you don't have kids, it's just kids that you know. Um, our childhood, there, there's a lot of differences, just lots of them. But one stands out, you know, for the purposes of this story, uh, would be our friends, my friends, and riding on airplanes. When I was a child, um, hardly anyone that I knew was flying anywhere in airplanes, let alone regularly flying internationally. But now, with the number of people, with family members in multiple countries, international travel just seems to be so much more common. When I was younger, and, and really, I guess to this day, um, we are a road trip family. My parents were road warriors. They liked to hit the road and drive hard. Stop for a hotel? Why? We can just keep right on driving through the night. And so this is timely, right? March break hits, and Ontario springs a leak. A, a southern leak in Canada invades the United States en masse. We would see, uh, as we went south, plenty of Ontario uh, plates fleeing to the south. Seatbelts were not as big of an issue at that time, and we even had a collapsible bench that uh, you could install into the rear footwells of the seats so that you could stretch out and sleep back there. Anyone else out there ever live the life of Riley like we did, right? <laughs> Living in the danger zone and the be quiet and sleep zone all at the same time. Now, <laughs> I got to warn you, you probably will get arrested for these heinous crimes today, but we were lawless travelers back then because we had a limited time, just a limited window. We've got to get there and we're on a road trip, but not as lawless as some of my friends' parents, as I found out when I went back to school after the break. On their road trips, things were a little bit different. Their dads, you know, a couple of different families did this. Um, the dads would bring the kids one at a time to sit in his lap while he's driving and have them steer the car as part of a competition. So it's a steering competition. No doubt, let's make a disclaimer, right? This is highly illegal. Don't do this on the way home from church today. But you would go, um, you get about five minutes to steer the car heading down the highway, and you lose points when you hit uh, any of the reflectors on the edges of the road, like those cat's eyes that they have uh, that reflect at night, or the rumble strips. So, right, super safe activity. Not if you hit them, but how many times you hit them sets your score. So, kids are very good at paying attention and, and, and counting each other's score, and, oh, you lost, you hit there. And um, the secret, of course, to doing this is to stop looking at the reflectors. Stop looking at the lines. If you keep looking at those things, that's what you're going to hit. Look way ahead. Uh, look, look way down the road. Keeping to the center. Keep in between the lines by not looking at the lines. Stay in the middle of the lane. Keep it in the middle of the lines. So, the learning here is that we all lean towards what we focus on. That was the quick summary of where we ended up last episode. When it comes to heaven, this is true also. It starts before you die. We live toward what we look forward to in life. 
We talked about one of the challenges regarding heaven. It's, it's not that we don't think of heaven frequently enough. It's that we don't think highly enough about heaven. It's not, about, uh, it's, it's not a big enough deal for us. Our picture of heaven is not compelling enough to draw us toward, to impact our life enough to cause us to live towards the realities of heaven now. Our, our, our picture is, is small, it, it, but, but our picture of heaven impacts our lives on earth. If you, if you missed out on the previous episode, we looked at Jesus, and He was uh, talking a bunch about heaven, that's what we were looking at, but also talking about heaven in at least three different ways three different realities, and we looked at this through three different conversations that reveal little snapshots of heaven. So, you can search back in our sermon archive and watch that episode or listen to that episode, or you can find it out on YouTube as well. But we heard Jesus refer to heaven in different ways. And just to go over those really quickly, there is a heaven now in another place. That's the present heaven, okay? And then he talked about heaven being here at another time. That's the future, eternal heaven. And then he talked about how we can experience heaven here and now, but in another way. That's how we participate in heaven now on earth. So, you remember this has uh, something to do with time, and in terms uh, we don't really like to think of life in, we think basically that life death, that's it, or life and then afterlife. But the key part that you're not hearing there is my life and then my afterlife. But ancient Near Eastern people think much more in terms of their community and of ages in time. So when they thought about time, it wasn't just confined to their life. They were tied to their ancestors and tradition. And the Old Testament prophets and Jesus and the New Testament writers, they all talk about times in terms of this age and the age to come, and that is not defined by an individual's life. In this age, there is a present heaven and a present earth, and they are separated, okay, but existing at the same time. Then they taught that in the future age, the next age, that the present earth will go through a recreation. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and the two of these will come together. And the new heaven will descend onto the new earth. And we're going to spend all of our time talking about that next episode. I'm giving you the future today. I'm not foretelling the future, but I am, you know, giving you my plan. So that's what's happening. Today, however, we're going to talk about this age, right now, the here and now. So in this age, right now, there is the present heaven and a present earth. And wherever you are right now, watching or, or, or listening from, uh, you are doing that from the present earth. Last episode, we poked a little bit of fun at what we think about the present heaven. You know, the accuracy of our picture of the present heaven is, you know, suspect at best. For some reason, heaven makes us think about clouds. Those are the pictures that we've been seeing. We think of a big fancy gate, it's going to be a very nice gate, a stairway, mansions, streets of gold. Those were some of the attractions that we came to see in our last discussion, last episode. But there's, there's a relationship between heaven and earth, but we're not so sure about how it all works. Scripture tells us about a realm that is seen and a realm that is unseen. What we see, what we interact with, that's the realm that we 
can see. That's this realm. But there's an unseen realm. There's another part of the unseen realm than the one that we just first think of. So there's, there's heaven, which is unseen, but there's also another unseen realm. We talked about that back in November. Thankfully, hell is an unseen realm for us. There's a lot of overlap between what's going to happen in the present heaven and then in the future eternal heaven. Again, the, the, those scriptural kind of descriptions that look at that, uh, expose that. We're going to look at those next episode. I'm just keep teasing you like this, but I want you to see where we're heading. But, but, but every week's a good week, so don't worry. You're safe. We're, we're still going to do important things today, but heaven, heaven, next episode. So this week, this episode, I just want to remind you all, you're going to be so glad you came today. You're going to die. Uh, so you're welcome. Uh, does seem a little bit obvious, but it's also not something that most of us linger on. Uh, Christians that believe in Jesus and His death and in His resurrection believe that when we die, we will go to this present heaven. In Revelation, John gives us one of the best glimpses of heaven than we can get, and that's what they are. They're glimpses. John is really mourning the loss of his friends. It's late in his life, and things have not gone well. It has been hard for, from starting as being one of Jesus' closest followers to, to watching that come undone and unwrapped, and so many of his friends being killed and martyred. These Jesus followers allowed themselves to be killed to keep sharing the story of Jesus. And those faithful, those honest, compelling martyrs, they are what many attribute the incredible growth of Christianity to. Killing lots of people made even more people want to join that movement. What could impact you so deeply that you would be faithful through torture and all the way to death? It was so deeply compelling, so powerful, that this movement eventually, peacefully, overtook the entire Roman Empire. But John is in a place that many of us have been around. John's thinking... This isn't right. We're trying to follow you, God. I'm trying to lay down my life for this. It's been so many years. I'm aging out. But just when are you going to return? Because I'm ready now. So God gives John a vision of heaven. Revelation chapter 6. It's sort of, you know, a sneak peek into heaven. Remember, this is through the lens of his struggles through the lens of the people he's lost and the, the people who have suffered, uh, and, and he's at the same time contemplating his own life. And God gave him this picture, picture, and then John wrote it down, and then we get to read it. Revelation chapter 6, starting at verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and the testimony they had maintained. These were people who had been killed for their faith. Verse 10, they called out in a loud voice, a voice I'm sure that we want to use as well, and say, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? What happened to us was wrong. We were faithful to you, and these other people behaved cruelly, with malice aforethought. How long? When are you going to do something about that? 
We trusted in you. We are trusting in you. And at the same time, we long to say how long until you do what's right. There's others that are still suffering. This is John's vision, right? And it's his plight that he's living in right now. How long? Verse 11, then each one of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. God is saying, I'm clothing you with righteousness. I want you to know that I accept you. But this is not done yet. You need to wait a little longer. Together, we're going to be patient because it's my desire that none would be cut off, that none would perish without hope. I'm going to wait until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. This is not done yet. And this is not the popular part of the Jesus message. Follow Jesus. It will, it does, it must involve sacrifice. Various sacrifices, repeated sacrifices, sacrifices over time in this life. But what we sacrifice for is what we have coming. What you have ahead of you in the grand scheme, eventually you're going to realize that the the sacrifice is really small. That sacrifice is small in comparison to eternity. And John is there. He's seeing these things, at least a couple of things that he sees as he's looking forward to. And again, this is a hint to next episode. But, But John lets you know that you are going to go to a physical place. Heaven is a hotly debated kind of thing over what is physical and what's spiritual, and some of that old Gnostic teaching continues to linger, comes back up. It's in the background of our thoughts. Many people still believe to this day that the physical is bad. We've got to, we've got to deal with it. We've got to get rid of it, but the spiritual is good, and that's the direction we've got to go. We've got to get spiritual. So people think that we're going to be removed from our bodies because the physical is bad, and of course, heaven is only spiritual, but the Scriptures just don't teach that. The physical and the spiritual can't be, cannot be opposed to each other. And and, and the idea that they are, it's a very new age thought. If that inherent opposition is true, then God could not have inhabited a body in Jesus. God took on a physical body, and then that body was raised from the dead, and then He ascended into heaven So we know that there's at least one body in heaven. There's going to be a physical place to which we go. And in this physical place that we are going, we will have certain knowledge. Not everything, but we'll have a a set of knowledge. Our our minds are not wiped. We, We are in this age, and there is a degree of distance between the present heaven and the present earth, uh, and, and they have competing values. How long is that going to go on for? That was the question that they were asking. How long until the age to come? So, knowledge can also be gained. They, they don't know everything. We will have some memory from, from earth. Everyone will have to give an account for what they have done and how they have lived. You have to have some memory to give an account. You are going to be participating in the present heaven. Hebrews 12 gives us a a, a little picture here. It tells us that we're cheering on people, that we are part of that great cloud of witnesses. So here's a summary of what we can anticipate regarding heaven. There will be a separation of body and soul. 
this becomes more appealing as time goes by, right? Uh, you, you feel it now. I'm ready for the new body right now. In, in the future heaven, the eternal heaven, the new heaven, we will be given a new body. There will be a relocation of our soul to heaven, to this present heaven. There is a liberation of our soul from sin and the brokenness of this world. And just imagine how freeing that will be. Free from the torments, free from the temptations, free from the oppression of this world and the, and the physical ongoing struggle. Just soak in that for a moment, that kind of change that we're talking about. Think about it for yourself and for those that you love. What would that be like? Free from physical struggles, health concerns, weaknesses, impairments, mental torments, depressions, anxieties, anger, disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, liberated. Liberation at our deepest layers, the essence of who we are. There's a reconnection with loved ones, reunions of those who have been missing, meeting up again with those we have known too little for too short a time. That's something that we can all look forward to. And this is, might be one of the, this, this probably is the most significant one of all. There is a deep satisfaction in God's presence, real, deep, true fulfillment. We will experience a final fulfillment to all of our deepest longings on the inside, a completeness that we can never reach until that intimacy with God. So for now, you know this, that we are struggling physically, we are wrestling spiritually, and we are longing internally. This is what is ahead of us. This is what you will experience. Set your sights. There's so much more. And again, don't miss next episode because we're going to talk a lot more about the future, eternal heaven. This is not something to be feared. That's why in the New Testament, Paul, especially as he's writing, he refers to death in terms of sleep. The first century followers were so clear on this because death was so close to them. They were being oppressed, killed, martyred. It was close to those around them, but there was this pervasive belief that, that was lived out that death is not the end. It's just sleep. They, they, they followed the one who had overcome death. So many people had seen a resurrected Jesus that many, many of those first Christians either saw resurrected Jesus themselves or knew someone who had. Death is not the end. I, I, I go to sleep here, and when I wake up, I'm going to be in this place where I've experienced a liberation, a reconnection with loved ones, and a new satisfaction in God. Now, with all of that future in mind, and so much more in the future heaven, but with, with just that in mind, I want to remind you a little bit of last episode. And we were in Colossians chapter 3. So let's look at that again, starting at verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
This new life that you have been given is not just for this life for right now. It's not just for this world. It's not just for this age. You've been given your life. You've been raised to a newness of life that will never die. Your soul will never die. You will experience everlasting life, which is both about fullness of life and it is length of life. That's what you've been given. That's what you've been raised to. Verse 2, so think about the things of heaven. Set your sights. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. Three, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your sights on your new life. Focus on that. Think about heaven. Let your mind go there. Let your mind linger there. Consider what is to come for you. Verse 4, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed the whole world will uh, to the whole world you will share in all his glory in the age to come when Jesus comes and he connects the new heaven and the new earth you're going to share in that set your sights on the realities of heaven long distance view don't keep looking at the sidelines and you will begin living then in that direction but wait there's still more because Paul goes on to unpack how we begin to experience those things. How we experience heaven, even begin to get a taste of heaven right now on this present earth. Verse 5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality or impurity or lust, evil desires, and don't, don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Stop setting your sights on the rumble strips and reflectors, on the realities of this world. Set your sights on heaven. Don't dream about what you can get or get away with in this age, in the here and now, in the present earth. Set your sights higher. You're aiming way too low. You're satisfied with too little. Don't, let, don't set your sights on brokenness and the things of darkness. Don't settle for the counterfeit, distorted version of what you really desire. That true intimacy that you're running after, that true intimacy that God designed you for, He's given you instructions about how to experience that. And it comes through monogamy and fidelity and purity. These are questions about heaven. This is about how you begin to experience heaven on earth. And when you set your sights on the realities of this present world, that will bring with it the earthly qualities of brokenness and sin distortions. You may need to get rid of that stuff so that you, so that you won't be distracted or, or entangled or deceived or misled by sin. Don't allow yourself to be misled into worshiping the things of this world. And don't allow yourself to be deceived into believing that the things in this present world are of the same value as the realities of heaven. No one wants to think that they're greedy, right? I, you don't want to think, hey, I'm a greedy person. But it really changes the way that you think about it when you see that Paul uses greed in terms of worship. What is it that you worship? What is it that you use to make your final decisions? What do you see as having supreme value? The almighty dollar or the almighty God? Many of us place our hope and trust in money. 
We find worth in money. We spend our lives working for it. Some of us are enslaved to it because we just need a little bit more, just a little bit more, because i got to pay off my debts, debts that I accrued because I couldn't wait to get what I wanted. And oftentimes, money becomes our hope, becomes our happiness, or at least we believe that it will. And I don't mean just you. I mean us, all right? I bounce back and forth on this also. No matter how many times I see God provide, I still get edgy, and I still get antsy around money issues when it seems that things are a little tight. We depend on it. It's our measure of success and failure. Well, guess what? That's worship. C.S. Lewis, in the Screwtape Letters, he said it this way, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he's finding his place in it, when really it is finding its place in him. And if you haven't read it, that is a book that will really mess with your ways of thinking in a good way. Highly recommend it. Letters between a junior demon and a senior demon doing training. It's awesome. Paul continues, verse 7, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. You were focused on pursuing pleasure at whatever cost. It didn't matter, right? Because you need it. Well, you want it, therefore you need it, and most of all, you deserve it, right? So take it. That's what you used to do when you were still living for this world. And living for this life, you were setting your sights on you. Verse 8, but now is the time. Get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Nine, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. So many things that we do to gain and maintain power. We see them in our politicians, and it angers us, right? We see it in the, in the behavior of corporations, and it angers us. We see it in the people who do things the way that we don't do them, and it angers us. We have great difficulty seeing it in ourselves, and so it rarely bothers us at all. Power and control drive so much of humanity. Be on your guard. Be watchful inside of you. As long as you live in this world, you have a sinful nature that you're going to struggle with. That sinful nature is going to drive you to pursue at all cost pleasure, prosperity, and power. The promise is that these things will satisfy your deepest longings, that you will feel better if you pursue these things. Because this is what you really want. This is what you should be after. This is what you need. And don't worry, because once you get there, you'll be satisfied and fulfilled. Well, the Apostle Paul says, these things that you're chasing, that you're practicing, they're not just bad behaviors. You know, don't be bad, be good. These things that you are chasing after, that, you, that um, they've been promised to you already. It is your reality in heaven. The final satisfaction that you're going to experience in paradise, in heaven, that is what waits for you. And yet you clamor for that now. 
Imagine a life with no clamoring, but peace. You will experience some sacrifice, and you're going to see other people that you think are getting ahead, or they're getting away with stuff, and maybe they're experiencing a life that's better than yours. But here's what you need to know. Pleasure, prosperity, and power will drag with them, will Trojan horse all sorts of problems in your life. The sinful nature leads you to be focused on pleasure, prosperity, and power. And it leads towards brokenness, death, and destruction. Then in contrast, he says, instead, verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. As you live into this new nature, He's made it possible for you to become like Him, and that can be happening now. Become like God. You ever heard that phrase before? There's another story. Way back at the beginning, way back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have decided that they wanted to become like God. They wanted to become the God of their own lives. They set their sights not on God, but on pleasure, prosperity, and power. They were trying to get out from under the authority of God. And honestly, uh, I don't like it when you say it that way. Trying to get out from under the authority of God, I don't like it because it reminds me of me. Does it do that for you also? Trying to get out from under the authority of God? I'll just do it my way. I see things better. But, but that, that Genesis 3 story, it's different from what the Apostle Paul is talking about. As you take on your new nature and you put on that new nature, God is going to renew you transform you. And as you come to know Him, you are not trying to get out from under His authority. When you follow Him, you are going to become like Him. You are going to begin to resemble your Father in heaven. You will take on family characteristics. It's a legitimate path to becoming like God. Paul continues, how do you do that? Here's how. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Yeah, forgive. Forgiveness. Yes. That's the direction to move for freedom. But this is not something that a perpetrator can ever demand of their victim. There will always be consequences for sin. Fourteen, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony into oneness. Fifteen, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. For, for members as of one body, you are called to live in peace. Always be thankful. Paul's saying here that there's an opposing force 
There's a new nature that you have been freed to in Christ. And this new nature, above all else, is love. And it creates a culture of, of radical grace. It, it, it's set in a culture of peace and not conflict. Unity, bringing people together. Love, grace, peace. That's what this new nature sets its sights on. And when you set your sights on love and grace and peace... You are setting your sights on the values of heaven. Your new nature sets its sights on love, grace, and peace. And that brings about the values of heaven. That old nature, the sinful nature, sets its sights on pleasure, prosperity, and power. And that brings about death and destruction. One brings about the values of heaven, and the other brings about the values of hell. When Paul says to let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, that word rule, that's governance language. This is about what governs your life. It's about a rule of life. What's ruling? What's governing your life? There are two forces, okay? There's the new nature and there's the sinful nature. And you can look this up later, but in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says that these two forces are fighting each other for the rule of your life. They are currently working on you and they are opposed to each other. This is where we get that cultural concept or at least certainly the, the older cartoon concept of shoulders, right? Poof, the angel appears poof, the demon appears on your shoulders. They're both giving you directions on what you should do. I think everyone's seen Looney Tunes, right? They do that a lot. You can relate to that. This is why there's two natures at war with each other, two forces in the unseen realm that are, you are in the middle of. The, the, the sinful nature is trying to get you to self-govern your life, to answer to yourself alone and say things like, I'm going to do what feels right for me, all right? I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, whenever I feel like doing it. Nobody can tell me what to do. That's my truth. Sinful nature causes you to pursue pleasure, prosperity, and power in ever-increasing amounts. What satisfied you yesterday does not satisfy you tomorrow. It leads to chaos, and chaos leads to suffering and death physical and spiritual. But there's a new nature through Christ you can lean into and, and, and begin to pursue love and grace and peace. And it comes by surrendering control of your life. Putting on the new nature is not about taking control. It's about recognizing that this new life is it's not even ours. Our life is, it, it's a, we've been given it as a gift we, we surrender that life in this present age, and, and, and I'm going to allow God to renew me and to restore me and to redeem whatever He can so that I can experience some of the realities of heaven in this world. And you and I, we make these choices every day. Every day you and I make choices that either bring down the order of heaven into our lives or pull up the chaos and brokenness of hell into our lives. 
Everything is spiritual. The decisions you make about your finances and the decisions that you make regarding your sexuality or your career, or your relationships, the stories that you're going to tell, the excuses that you're going to make, the things that you've decided that you will prioritize. How are you going to spend your time? How are you going to spend your money? All those things are spiritual. You make decisions every single day and you either make decisions that are governed by the rule and the authority of heaven or hell. And when you make decisions governed by heaven, you actually bring down the goodness and the order and the, and the grace and the mercy and the peace of God into your life and into the lives of those people around you. Or we make decisions that bring the chaos and the brokenness of hell up into our lives and into the lives of those around us. If you're here, if you're listening or watching, and you believe that this is all that there is, this is it, that's all, I understand that, right? I spent time there also. If you believe this life is your one shot to experience it all, all that you can find, all that you can touch, and you need to get all of your deepest longings fulfilled, and you believe you've found the way, just realize that as you go at it, you are in danger of bringing all sorts of hell up into your life and into the lives of those around you. The problem is not pleasure or prosperity or power. It's when they become the chief end. And, and, and that's what you are setting your sights on. That's what you are putting your hope in. The Apostle Paul, he teaches that, that what you set your sights on is the ruler of your life. It defines your direction. It keeps you from bumping the sides of the road. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. And, and what's under, uh, what's ahead of you because of living under the authority and the governance of heaven brings the goodness and the well-being and the meaning and the purpose, the fulfillment. It brings it all into this life right now, at least in part. It's not in fullness yet, but it gives us a taste. A taste for you and for the people around you. Whichever system you live for and you live toward, you will experience the consequences of that. Those consequences can be like heaven or they can be like hell. When you live out loud, you know, in, in front of other people, what do they see you living for? What does the next generation see us going after? What are we training them to pursue? What do they see as what's most important in our lives? Does anybody care about anything different? You guys all the same? Is, is this all that there is? After all your many years of living, all the experience that you tell me about, what can I learn from you about how to go after life? Are we looking forward to the realities of heaven? Is that where we're setting our sights? Because as good as this life can get, it is a mere shadow of what's to come. But those shadows are important. When things are difficult internally, physically, financially, spiritually, relationally, set your sights on the things to come. That, that is not just for now, for what is to come. Solves and absolves all the deficiencies and all the discouragements 
Jesus and Paul both taught that we can experience parts of heaven on earth right now. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the way it works. The Apostle Paul reminding us to aim higher, set your sights higher, because what you look toward, what you look forward to, that's what you're striving towards, is what you are living toward. It is what you are going to experience more in this life and in the life to come. The Apostle Paul summed it up this way, with this already, not yet kind of anticipating heaven world that we are in right now. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to live for Him. I want to take on an appearance that is like Jesus. I want to be accused of resembling Jesus. That's what I want to point people towards. He holds my life to live as Christ and to die as gain. And it's easy to say, ah, that's just for the super spiritual people, right? For professional Christians. If people don't see hope in the reality of heaven in our lives, where will they see it? If people don't see in us the experience of love and grace and peace, but instead only see in us the pursuit of pleasure, prosperity, and power in this life, just like everybody else, what are we pointing them toward? Where is our hope? Really? Heaven matters now. Kind Father, I pray today that you'd equip and energize this community in our hearts. The people in this room and the pe- people watching or listening, give us a vision to live for what is to come, to trust you. That's what it's going to take. We're going to have to trust you in, in our everyday living, in our, our regular choices. We trust You today with our future. Help us to set our sights on heaven and to live in the new nature that You have given us. We trust You enough to submit our lives, to live under Your rule. Cause us as a community to be a bright light right where we are. May we live in, experience, and display love, grace, and peace for Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.